Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. We are so excited for today's episode because we're talking all about weddings. And I recently got engaged, or maybe not that recently, just last year. We're talking about breaking tradition and how event life has changed all together. The best part is we have two special ladies joining us today to do just that. Q, Michelle Bilodeau, and Karen Cleveland, both talented Torontonians who actually just put their heads together to write a whole damn book called The New Wedding Book. Woo! <laughs> Hello. The fact that you ladies managed to do this during COVID times is crazy enough to begin with. But before we dive in, we want to give our listeners just a little bit more background on who you two are. So Michelle is a writer and an editor, and her work has appeared in all of our go-to outlets. We're talking CBC Life, Refinery29, Fashion, The Kit, Flair, and Canadian Living. You may have also seen her on the social as a green beauty expert. And Karen has also impressively contributed to the New York Times, Wedding Bells, Today's Bride, Fashion, The Kit, Huffington Post. The list goes on, everyone. Damn. Amazing. A (laughs) recurring pattern here. Oh, you know it. Um, So they kind of sort of definitely have experience in all things weddings. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with you ladies, how did your worlds collide? Yeah, so Karen and I met back in 2008. Uh, We were both working at a publisher in Toronto. So I was editorial side and Karen was on the marketing and PR team. And we kind of just slowly got to know each other. And then one day, Karen, I think, was having a bit of a stressful day. And she came over to my desk and she was like, dude, do you want to go for lunch? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we ended up having a bit of a boozy lunch, which is like, you know, it's fine to say 12, 13 years later when we're no longer employed at that company. But um, (laughs) we support it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, like the rest is kind of history. Like we had this awesome lunch and really connected and we've just been, we've been close pals ever since. 
Oh, I love when you tell it, honey. <laughs> like an old, old married couple. It was dating advice, I remember. I needed yeah. Michelle's advice on dating. Um, yeah. And that precipitated this, like, Michelle's like my non-married life partner. Yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> the best partners. So now you've written a book together. So that seems like a really big task. And it's called The New Wedding Book. What inspired you two to write this book? Well, we got married, uh, Michelle and I got married a couple months apart from each other. Like we were at each other's weddings. We were very much like part of the lead up to those weddings in each other's lives. And we would catch up as friends do and compare notes and be like, I can't believe this happened. Or I was at this store and I got this vibe. It was really strange. Oh, that happened to you too. Mm. So the more we talked about it with each other and then talked about it with other people, we realized that there was a pattern here. And that this fantasy of weddings that we had been sold, it just didn't square. So the more we spoke about it, there was almost something confessional about it from other women. Like you're not supposed to admit that you found your wedding anything other than the most like beautiful, hyperbolic, magical experience of your life. And the reality is that for couples in general, but women in particular, it's assumed that we're supposed to be not only obsessed with our weddings, but willing to put aside any sort of feminist principles we have or things we care about, like the environment or having a super tight long-term financial plan. We're just supposed to send that all to the wayside to worship at the altar of this wedding. And we're supposed to diet and transform ourselves to be a bride, like all of this pressure. So that was sort of the major thing underpinning it. And the more we talked to, we, there was a lot of head nodding. Women were like, yeah, totally. Like, why, why is it like this? Why does it have to be like that? And then even as you're saying it, we're all like, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it's uncomfortable to talk about, right? Because it runs counter to everything we've been sold. I think particularly as women throughout, you know, our fairy tale story. Yeah, Yeah, you're dead right. Yep. And then the other piece that was precipitating that sort of simultaneously is thank God there's a lens on diversity. So Michelle and I are like, wait, why is it as homogenized as it is? Like, why do weddings look this certain way? And the more we picked away at it, we realized that like, unless you're a young, white, beautiful, able-bodied, heterosexual, cisgendered couple, you really don't see yourself reflected in that Mm -hmm. narrative. So that was another thing that was really pushing us. But it's really, I think, the dichotomy between what we were sold was supposed to be this magical experience and then how it really shook out and the delta between those things. Uh, So we we wrote this book uh, with the hope of getting people... I don't know, a little bit, a little bit ruffled to want to pick away at that too with us, but then also inspire couples to just take the reins back and reclaim their weddings. It's so important, this work that you guys are doing, um, which I'm sure you realize when we do events and we always say we we would never do weddings. We're like, we just, that's just not our thing. I've been married before. Like, (laughs) I I just don't like exactly all the constructs that all these rules, (laughs) I'm not really into them. And then two, a couple of friends of ours had asked us to do weddings for them because an event is an event when it comes down to it. It's just logistics right. and organization. And what was great about it is that we said yes, because we knew these two people, they would break all of the rules. They wanted no sense of tradition and they wanted really, all they really wanted was their closest friends and family to have a good time. Yeah. And so it was, it was like this beautiful thing where we could, we didn't have to like, even if you're not religious, this religious religion piece comes in and, and that your dad has to walk you down the aisle. And like, you know, like what happened to mom? Yes. We forgot about mom. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. 
When, like when Karen and I both got married, we were in our mid thirties and it was kind Mm -hmm. of like, why are people all of a sudden telling us what to do? Like we have mortgages, Mm -hmm. we've lived like lives. We're in the midst of like really great careers. Why are people telling us what to do? Why can't we do this the way we want to do it? So it it really felt like it just didn't vibe with who we were as women and people. And and yeah, it just felt really icky and wrong. And I would add to that too, not to speak on behalf of our partners, but it sort of felt icky for them too. Like there's no groom industry, right? Like when we're talking about the wedding industry, it's completely synonymous with marketing to women as brides. And my husband wanted to be part of that process with me. So to watch him feel like the narrative sort of boxed him out. And there's sort of like, you know, the aw shucks joke, the groom's only job is to show up on time. It's utter rubbish. Uh, And it pulls back these really outdated constructs. I think you use the word constructs and that's exactly what they are. Yeah. Based on like so many, so the the few weddings that we've done, we found that the men were far more involved, which was interesting. So, that, and, and it could swing the total other way too, but there's no space for that. Like mm-hmm, our right. language doesn't allow for the space for that. So often that's we so get true. And it's like, we were even surprised when the men wanted to be more involved. Like we're like, oh, this is kind of refreshing because we've been so drilled down that it is the female choosing in most cases. That's right. I feel like you two touched on it a little bit, but what can our listeners expect after they actually read the new wedding book? Yeah. So our hope is that people will read the book and just feel inspired and gutsy enough to create the wedding of their actual dreams. You know, not that like faux dream that we're force fed by the wedding industrial complex, which to be honest, and in our opinion for whatever it's worth is mostly a soulless cash grab. The industry itself is a 50 plus billion dollar industry a year. And when you think about that, like that's a lot of money for something that is, you know, one day or depending on your background could be like a weekend or, or whatever it is, but it's a lot of money to spend on a wedding. And, you know, like we're not telling anybody who wants to have a big white Western wedding, not to do it, like have at it, but it's just for those people who want things to be a bit more simple, maybe a bit more intimate, that you have every right to do the wedding, how you want to do it without feeling pressured by your family, your friends, by society, by social media. It really should go back to just being about the couple and you guys celebrating your love and your marriage. The wedding is just one aspect of what is going to be your marriage, your partnership. And you should have fun 100%, but don't break the bank for one day or, or a weekend just to show off on social media or whatever you feel you have to do, you know? It's like the side like the side notes of like when you're having, sorry, not the side notes, but when you're doing these events, also what you run into is like, oh, okay, yeah, you can have a DJ and bring in your own DJ. But if you want to plug into our power system, now that's going to be $350. I'm like, wait, what now? Like yes. everything has this crazy tax. And as soon as you say the word wedding to a venue, it's like they put on the wedding tax. Like hundred percent. Yep. We talk about that. There's a chapter in the book devoted, like we, we all talk about the pink tax and how women pay everything. Uh, we pay more for everything from razors to pens, right? If we're marketed to women, but there's a bona fide like hosing going on yes. <laughs> when it comes to weddings. Yeah. Couples get taken for a ride. Like if you look at, you know, a beautiful black silk dress, we'll have price tag. If that same dress is in white, literally the same fabric, the same pattern, and it's sold at a bridal boutique, you can expect a zero at the end of it. At least one. 
easy. Like multiple zeros. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great anecdote in the book about someone who booked a photographer. Because one of the things we advocate for in the book is telling a little white lie. So planning your wedding without telling when it's a wedding. Mm -hmm. So there's a great anecdote in the book. Someone hires a photographer for an event. And then much closer to the day, the photographer is like, oh, what what am I shooting again? Like, is it a retirement party? What is it? Is it a birthday? So it's a wedding. And they immediately double their price. Like they're not bringing extra staff. They're not bringing extra equipment. They're literally there to do the same job and they doubled their rate. Like it's mind blowing that we've not only accepted this, but we sort of anticipate it in the wedding sector. Yeah. It's become the norm, which is really sad to see people having to pay double the price for something when really what is the value add other than the fact that it's a wedding, you're not going above and beyond and adding any other services to what you're offering as a vendor. Yeah. It's just Except for a DJ. I'd have to sure. argue because totally. the DJ at a wedding, the amount of requests oh oh. for the craziest song. That's the only yeah, thing. I agree. Like, Oh God, I'm definitely not going to play. Oh, I have to play that song. And everybody, oh my God. They get. DJs can definitely add a pain in the ass. Yeah. 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 There's a surcharge for playing YMCA. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> sweet <laughs> Lord. It's barred. It's barred. I literally think about that wedding stuff though, in terms of like, I've been in multiple weddings. It's like a bridesmaid as a person. And after my, one of my closest friends, like the last person who got married, I dead, like told my friends outright, do not ask me to do this again. Nobody asked me, I won't do it because of like the amount of money I was in school that I had spent on the destination things, the weddings, the dresses, the hair, the makeup. And never mind if it was like a cultural wedding where you had both the, the westernized wedding plus the cultural piece, like tens of thousands of dollars between these people. And I was like, ladies, we're done here. We're done. Ask someone else. It's not for me. And it, and it is, it's so hard because you're sitting there as somebody who's involved in that. And then I'm like, hold on. So we're doing the bridal shower. Then we're doing the mom's bridal shower because she wants one with just her friends. And then we're doing the destination um, thing, the bachelorette party. And then we're doing another one after that. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. How many gifts are we talking about here? Plus what we're doing. So it's crazy. It's all too much and good on you for saying no. Because I think a lot of people feel like they can't. And that's part of of what the book is about for us is like, no, you can say no. Um, And people need to stop judging you for for doing that, for setting up boundaries for yourself, right? Which is what you did. You set up boundaries for yourself. Well, speaking of the book, how long did it actually take you to write this in terms of your timeline from the initial concept to like finding your publisher? What did that look like? Oh my goodness. Michelle will keep me honest, but I remember sitting on a patio in like spring 2014. And we had a fairly tight outline. Like we knew what we wanted to talk about. And ironically, I, I think if we were to hold that up against this book now, it's pretty close to what we we knew we wanted to do. So we knew we were going to publish this thing. And we had a really good idea of how we wanted it to read. And we didn't want it to be bossy or didactic. We wanted it to be fun, but also like offer some interesting sort of like socio-anthropological pieces around why we get married the way that we do. Mm. But we were like happily exploring the self-publishing route. And then it was a total lark that a friend of ours who's written several books, a really lovely woman, Melissa Leung, put us in touch with an agent. And that would have been... I think like late 2018, who then secured us a publishing deal, which was incredible. It was really, really exciting, totally surreal. 
And then from that point, we had about a year to finish the draft, complete our research, do all the interviews and to edit it. So it was a long sort of lead up. But then once, um, once the gears clicked and we had to produce that draft, it was a super intense year. And then of course, the pandemic on top of that was just, it really compressed things. Our first draft was due May, 2020. So it did allow us to talk a little bit about the pandemic, I think, which is interesting and has definitely changed the wedding industry. We didn't want this to be like a pandemic wedding book. It, it would have stood on its own pre-pandemic, but I think the pandemic definitely offers a very interesting dynamic to how weddings have changed. A year is a really short time to write like a whole book. I think people will hear that and think, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. a really... That's a really long time. It's if anyone's no. ever written anything that's lengthy, like 50 pages for like a thesis takes a year, never mind a book that's 100, 200, 300 pages. With research to back everything up mm-hmm. and, wow. and interviews. Oh God. Yeah. We had had a good chunk of it written. I think we what we did in the final year was yeah, just a lot of kind of rounding stuff out and interviews. And it was mainly just like finishing kind of thing, mm-hmm. like putting the finishing touches on it. Cause we did write a pretty big chunk of it before we signed on with our publisher. So and we, Michelle and I had obviously um like with backgrounds in publishing, we had written for magazines and other forms of journalism. But for me personally, like there was a curve writing a book, like it was a different process and Mm -hmm. working with a structural editor versus a copy editor was super awesome to learn. Well, they say that everybody has a book in them, one book of them. I've stopped Mm -hmm. and started writing a book several times. I just feel like it becomes so daunting, especially when you have other jobs as you both do, Mm. many other jobs. (laughs) Did you experience that um, writer's block or... Uh, maybe like imposter syndrome when you were going through writing this book and kind of bring it to the finish line. The mm. imposter syndrome was so real and it oh, still God. kind of is, to be honest. Still is. <laughs> yeah, Karen and I often talked about the anxiety around writing this thing and will people like it? Are people going to hate it? How do we deal with with negative comments and all that kind of stuff? Because we are taking on an industry that is really steeped in tradition. People have very emotional attachments to certain things. I don't think there's anything aside from like maybe having a kid. I don't think there's anything more egotistical than you can do than write a book. <laughs> <laughs> <I guess>. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you're just like, it's like you're standing on a proverbial soapbox being like, I've got, I've got this idea. I've got this thesis I want to share. And I'd like for you to part with your money to buy a copy. To, like there's just something that's just, it's a really hard thing to get my head around, but our, like we, we were able to hold our first print copies in our hands and have had a couple people read them. Yeah. It feels major, like major, major. And the comments from people so far are really, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm putting my soul, my stock in that for now and just really enjoying the moment that we did it. We just did the damn thing. Right. It's so exciting <laughs> because it's coming from women. Cause I, I don't want to be stereotypical here, but this stats we'll back this up that I don't think men would have the same fears when putting something together like this and be like, well, this is my opinion and it's fucking awesome and everybody's going to love it. So uh, it's Uh great that you just like quieted those voices because I think a lot of uh, women especially are looking for that kind of backup when they want to do the wedding that they want to do, but they need someone to encourage them on this side of things that it's okay to have the wedding of your dreams, not your aunt's or your mother's or your father's yeah. or the wedding bells magazine. <laughs> yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ladies, what was your favorite part about writing the book? For me, it was just getting to work with one of my good friends on something that we're really, really proud of. You know, like we just said, it, it definitely wasn't easy. Like who knew writing a book would be so much work? Mm -hmm. Especially when you're a writer. A hundred percent. Like I, yeah, Taryn and I are both, we're both published writers and you would think that it would be something that you could just kind of ease into, but it really wasn't. But I think we both really believe in the topic and we both really believe in just trying to help people feel a bit more secure in the idea of, of doing things for themselves and not in a selfish way, mm -hmm. not in an individualistic way, but in a way that that serves kind of their purpose. Um, and now I think we're in the fun stage where we get to talk about the book and hopefully start seeing like the fruits of our labor come. I think this is the fun part for Karen and I is just to, to finally talk about mm -hmm. it and get to share it with people and, and hopefully hear some good feedback. So you both have touched a little bit, you know, in an indirect way on some of the challenges of writing a book, but can you tell us a little bit about what those actual challenges were? Because I think a lot of people think, you know, once you're done writing a book, that's it. So what's been difficult mm. about completing the whole process and what has come after that? That is such a good question. And your instincts are right on the money. It's I found the biggest challenge was that the goalposts kept moving. <laughs> like there was this insurmountable goal of like, get the first draft done. And then like, we got the first draft and we're like, oh, we did it. And then the real work started. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then it was like, then it was doing a structural edit, which is essentially, if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, we're only just learning this very recently as first time book authors, but a structural edit is making sure that all the pieces of your book are in the right place. So it's a major mm. sort of like, imagine unstitching a garment and remaking it. Uh, so it's, it's no small feat. So then we did that and we're like, oh, we're done, right? Then you get into the copy editing phase. So it was just this, the goalpost <laughs> kept moving of when it'll actually be done. And right now, uh, Michelle and I haven't even had a chance to compare notes on this, but mm. the hardest thing for me now is that it doesn't end. Like even though the book is it's done, it's, it's printed, I don't know how many more there's still things I want to tinker with. Like we found a typo yeah. and it was absolutely gutting. Yeah. Or now we're like, oh man, like I wish we could squeeze in an interview with so-and-so that would make this chapter amazing. Like it's, it's this never ending task. Like I think we could work on it for another 10 years and still want to mm -hmm. add to it. That's the biggest challenge for me. It's just that it's this never ending piece. Is that something you think that because it is something that could keep growing that you could maybe start like a website or like you know, grow it into something like a more of a, a resource. It's the book, but it has more of a life beyond. Yeah. We've definitely talked about what that will look like. And we have some ideas in the pipeline for sure. We've 
you know, Karen and I are both like, we have a love hate relationship with social media. So like we have started a social media account, but how much effort do we put into that versus, you know, something else. So we're still kind of working out those kinks and, um, you guys probably don't know, but Karen is also pregnant. So she's due in the next like three weeks. <laughs> Whoa, you could have fooled us. Super busy. Oh my God. Not busy at all. We're trying to figure out, like, we want to give Karen some space to birth her second child and yeah. and also not feel totally overwhelmed. So we're trying to, I think, set up a few boundaries on what we do now versus what we save for a little bit later this spring once the book is actually like out and in people's hands. And Michelle's gone back for a postgrad degree. So she's, oh she's no slouch. I'm having a baby, but she's, <laughs> she's doing things academically. So yeah, we're going to like, we're going to get this one done and then we'll see. We'll see what's next. Yeah. I don't think weddings are going anywhere. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. I feel like they're coming back with a vengeance. Oh, yeah, it's because people people have not been seeing each other. We're like it'll be the first parties that people get to go to. Yeah, excited. Yeah. What's the biggest piece of advice you've received, like from people who actually have read the book? Mm-hmm. Not advice, but feedback. We've um, we've definitely gotten a few bits of feedback. There's actually a new one up on Goodreads this morning that I read. Most of it is just that there's stuff that we've missed, and to be honest, like we 100% hear that because, as Karen already said, like we already know that there's stuff that we want to add in or that we would change a little bit um, or tweak or whatever. So the wedding industry is such a big industry that's fraught with so many issues that it it is just really hard to cover everything that we wanted. Um, You know, so fingers crossed, maybe that means we do this again. Maybe it's book two, maybe it's something else. But yeah, that's kind of been the biggest feedback right now is that there's just some stuff that we didn't dive into or didn't get to talk about. Mm. We can't win them all. But like you said, the more, the more feedback that you receive, the better understanding you'll get from such a wider demographic that you guys might even come up with even more ideas for what this looks like next. I feel like we're talking about lots of changes and, and I'm only 24, but I feel like my perspective has changed so much, even from when I was 18 about weddings, about getting married all together. So we want to know your perspectives on how you believe weddings will continue to change even over the next five years. I think we're going to see couples gut checking things a lot more. And I think if weddings were already on a precipice, the pandemic has just sort of nudged them over. Like everything from how we celebrate major milestones in our life, we haven't been able to do that in the same way in the past year. And yet we're still seeing people having super romantic, beautiful weddings, right? So it's offered an alternative path that I think is super refreshing. I also think there's realities that, you know, like the cost of housing, I know, for example, in Canada has increased something like threefold what our incomes have, like it's just getting completely outrageous uh, for young couples to have to choose, like, do I want a down payment on a condo, for example, or do I want a six-hour party? Like, it's just untenable uh, from an economic perspective. So I think that there's just going to be more questioning of, like, does this really work for me? Does my wedding really fit with my long-term vision of my, my life, how I want it to go, how I want my marriage to go, the foundation of my finances, like all those things. I 100% agree with everything Karen just said. And then from my perspective... I just want people to feel like they can wear whatever the fuck they want to wear to their own wedding. Yes. Yes. It doesn't have to be like super expensive. It doesn't have to be designer. Just wear what you want. If you, if that's a big white wedding gown, awesome. If it's like a sexy, cool suit, if it's floral, polka dot, 
whatever it is, whatever, it, whatever makes you feel fantastic. That's what you should be wearing on your wedding day. Yes. Not like, not the thing that is like, you want to rip off, like almost the instant that you put it on. Exactly. <laughs> oh my, God, my wedding dress up was like, ah, get it off of me. Can I tell you a wild story? So at my last wedding, that one that I swore off weddings, one of my best friends, it was the dead of summer. It was August 15th at Edmonton, hotter than the devil's Gucci. Okay. We're in a <laughs> church stuffed in there with 700 people. It's a two hour, yeah, it's a two hour ceremony. And my friend is standing there and they put on this, um, it's a traditional garb. So they put on a velvet like robe and then this like velvet crown. And I'm watching her, we're standing there and she's like facing the people. Thank God her back's to the crowd. She's bawling because she's (gasps) sweating to death. She's so hot and there's so many people in this church. She is literally like, you can see her starting to shake and she's trying to like keep her shit together. And she turned around and she's like, cause she had wiped her tears. And I was like, oh shit. And so she's like, it was like Carrie. Or remember when Carrie on Sex in the City put that dress on? She's like, get it off, get it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, we had yeah, to yeah. run out the side of the door and she's like, get it off. And we ripped oh. her dress off of her. And it was the same thing. Like she was bawling. She's like, get me out of here. That in that moment, I was like, this is crazy. And the reason there's 700 people in there is because her family made her do it. But just this is exactly what you're talking about exactly what yeah, we're talking yeah. about and like maybe not only brides should read this like parents of brides and and you know the pressure that comes from from families like I mean not my family but a lot of friends of mine who have their big first generation Canadian families um and not only the people in Canada but all the people they have to bring over to Canada and then it's like 800 people 700 people at the wedding and you're mm-hmm. even to just house 700 people for two hours it's so ridiculous now you have to feed them and it's all about like well uncle george in, invited us to this and and you know uh, gosh I can and go then on. you're coordinating like all your guest schedules <laughs> and like where they should go eat if they're visiting from out of town like suddenly you're concierge like yeah. you're a concierge and you have your wedding and you haven't eaten all week like there's a lot of yeah mm. yeah um I feel like with Pinterest which I love but also I, when you when you throw an event everybody is an event specialist <laughs> of Pinterest oh, yeah. um, I've seen so many <laughs> new wedding ceremony styles and the creation of new traditions that I couldn't have imagined like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago when I first got married um what's a more recent wedding tradition that you guys have seen that you might admire mm. like a positive one I really love Elaine Welteros uh she's yeah. a former editor of Teen Vogue oh, and she's on the talk her. in the U.S. when she got married last spring I don't know how they did it but they shifted their budget to essentially take whatever money they were working with and they created this incredible floral archway that went on the mm. front of their Brooklyn brownstone she grabbed a, dr- a white dress from the back of her closet, a pair of super sexy heels, and they got married on the front porch of their brownstone and then had like a socially distanced dance party. So and cool. I just think that is like the epitome of cool in yes. the, like in how to do your wedding nowadays. I love that. I really like to Michelle's earlier point, also using a curse word, wearing whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> uh, I love that movement to either wearing like vintage or just something that's great in your closet, which by the way, is what women used to do a couple generations ago. The idea of yeah. going out and buying a dress 
to wear for one occasion was like erroneous. So if you talk about like returning to tradition, that's pretty damn traditional, like wearing a great dress you already have. But I also love, um, I don't see it a lot, but I love this idea of no devices at your wedding, like a full embargo on people bringing their phones, not because, you know, it's a celebrity paparazzi event because it forces your guests to be present and to experience your wedding rather than document it. And I love, love, love that. And then you can control your angles too. (laughs) (laughs) This is love it. So you both are married a little walk down memory lane. What were both of your weddings like? Uh, we did a, we just did like 125 people at a downtown art gallery and it was in December. Funnily enough, we got engaged in June and we got married five and a half months later in December. And we really just ordered food from vendors that we really liked and, or like restaurants, not even vendors. I think we had tacos and, you know, arancini balls and just Mm. a bunch of like food and we, all the good stuff. And we just (laughs) set it up like buffet style. We got married at like seven o'clock, seven thirty at night. There was some really fun speeches. Friends of ours are very musical, so they started singing. Like they kind of serenaded us with the song, which is really lovely. I remember lovely. that someone brought a guitar. Yeah, and just started. Oh, wow. It was the best. It was so <laughs> awesome. Um, and yeah, for me, like I, I really just I wanted an outfit that was reminiscent of what my grandma wore to marry my grandfather in the 1940s. Mm. So I just I had a dress custom made, and it was. It was just like a dress that fell just a little bit below my knees. It was pretty form-fitting. And I actually had a suit, a white suit jacket over top with like gold buttons. And for me, it was reminiscent and a bit more traditional in my opinion, because it was, you know, modeled after what my grandma wore. Because she just wore this like really great dress and these kick-ass heels and she had a jaunty little cap and like she looked really (laughs) awesome. So I just, I wanted to emulate that for our wedding. And then Karen, talk about yours. Yours was super fun. Yeah, I've got really fond memories. Ours was our second attempt. So we we attempted a surprise wedding, which we also talk about in the book is I think one of the most underrated and coolest wedding hacks where you you tell your friends and family you're having a party for whatever. It could be birthday party, engagement party, and then boom, you spring it on them. We're actually getting married right now. You're at our wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you bypass all the family pressures and people yes. are just so happy to be there no one can like complain about the catering. Um, so we were, <laughs> that was our plan. <laughs> that was our plan. And then the day before, or it was maybe even the morning of my mom, bless her, went into the hospital and stayed there for like mm. a good couple months. And thank God she's okay. She's still with us. But by the time she was well and healthy, it was almost a year later. And we were quite happy to be engaged. Like there was no, there's no rush. And I was like, mom, we're going to, we're going to try this again. What do you think about like an eight week window? She's like, yeah, I can work with, I'm good. I can, I feel good. Let's do that. So we planted in like six weeks and it was, I think we had 50 people at a winery. We got married by candlelight, my fiance at the time. We got ready together, which was super fun. Like we opened some champagne and had music up and he made sure the back of my hair looked nice. And I helped him with his bow tie and we showed up together. It was great. We asked uh, my brother and my husband's best friend at the time to be like our witnesses like we like five minutes before the occasion. And it was really, it was just fun. It felt, it felt good for us. It was perfect for other people. We may have skipped over things that felt really meaningful for them. Like there wasn't a lot of traditional elements, but for us, it was great. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Your wedding. Yeah. So romantic. It sounds yeah. so romantic. Um, yeah. uh, do you feel like there was anything that you would have changed about your wedding? For me, 
wish I wasn't so nervous. I don't know why, but I just had this like, well, I part partially I do know why. So my dad, unfortunately, Pat, he died mm. a couple of years before I got married and he was sick and I was able to have like some really deep and meaningful conversations with him before he died. And one of the things I asked was for him to write a letter to me so that my mom could read it out on my wedding day. And I hadn't Mm -hmm. read it. And it made me really nervous the whole wedding day because I knew I was going to cry and I didn't know how emotional I was going to get and if I could keep it together. Um, So my one sort of regret is I should have just read the damn letter at least once (laughs) before the wedding to know, to kind of expect, to know what to expect. But I I also did love this idea of just like hearing his words through my mom, like in front of all our friends kind of thing. Um, So yeah, there was that. And then I also really didn't want a guest book or a box for envelopes. And my mom just thought that was like ridiculous. So she went to Walmart and got some and I put them out, even though now I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I didn't want it. I should have just told her no. But anyway. That's so beautiful and hard to top. Gosh, uh, mine is we didn't test the audio. It sounds like ridiculous, right? And like, I've done events. I know my shit. I should have done that. Mm. And it was fine um, for like cocktail banter, mm. volume music. But once people wanted to dance, the quality of the speakers was really shitty. And uh, mm. it didn't, I don't think anyone cared didn't too care. much. We did not care. No Trust me, I was there. No one cared. Yeah. <laughs> anyone who said an event, you're like, ah. Um, so you, as you know, we're in events, but we find the digital landscape or virtual events very difficult to wrap our heads around. Yeah. Even though people like Ellen did really great things, it's still, I like the, the community aspect of an event or the personal touch. Where do you see the future of events? The million dollar question, where do you see it going? I think weddings in events in general and weddings in particular, I think there's going to be this, um, hopefully like a renewed excitement or enthusiasm for these smaller, more meaningful events. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be less expensive. Like people are hosting really splashy, really elegant affairs, but for smaller numbers of people. And I don't know, like the idea in a year that was so sad and mournful and one where so many people lost their job or worse, lost loved ones. There's something about dropping, you know, six figures on a party that just feels out of step. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel appropriate almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had talked earlier about like sometimes uh, intergenerational pressure to host a lavish wedding. I don't know about you guys, but my friends in my generation, like a lot of people's finances got utterly rocked this year because of job instability. Uh, and that's not unique to our generation. Like our parents felt that too. And when it comes to a wedding, someone's picking up the bill, whether the couple is themselves or they're hoping that their parents pay for it. So I think like, Money is always uncomfortable to talk about, but from a budgeting perspective, I think there's sort of like a, a sensibility now that like, you don't have to do things in an overtop way just for the sake of it. You can do something in a much more pared back way that feels really meaningful and lovely. And yeah. I, I think that's, I hope I'm right. <laughs> that's my hunch. Yeah. And I also love the idea, or I love what we've been seeing with virtual stuff. So I feel like moving forward in events, it could be a blend of, you know, IRL and virtual. What I love, especially in particular for weddings, what I love about this is people are a lot more comfortable with technology now. So Mm -hmm. if I can't go to X's wedding in somewhere in Palm Springs or, you know, a destination wedding or whatever, maybe there's an element or there's like a, 
small portion of the wedding that could be done virtually so that your friends and family that aren't able to make it can still be a part of that day or mm. can still participate in a way. I've seen some really cool things done virtually being in being a journalist and participating in a lot of virtual events. So I'm hoping that that can move over to to weddings as a way to incorporate more people, but still keeping it kind of a cool, intimate thing. Yeah. We need to get more into our virtual event. That's something that we haven't really been as involved with because I feel in the summer people were doing smaller parties and gatherings mm-hmm. yes. like with immediate family and friends. So that was kind of our avenue. What advice would each of you give to someone interested in writing a book? Find a kick-ass co-author. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that for uh, each other type face. That's so cute. <laughs> It's a lot to do alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also say, like, I, I forget who mentioned it when we were speaking earlier, but that like this notion that everyone has a book in them, no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and give you permission. There right? you like go. no one's going to say, you know what? I think you, you should go do that thing. So Boom. there's that is so key. Right? Just that go do so that. No one's, do gonna, no one's going to give you permission. Just go do it. Yes. And even like you guys had said before, you were going to self-publish. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's even a bigger of a feat. So you just wanted to do it. And that's what got you through all Mm -hmm. of the late nights and, you know, fixing the book and putting things here and moving that there and finally getting it to be published was that you had that real passion burning inside of you that you wanted to get it out there. And that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So something I love to ask all our guests is how do you take care of yourselves and not even in this trendy self-care kind of way, like not what kind of bubble bath you use, but how do you take care yeah. of yourself, especially in this day and age where everything's kind of been turned upside down? For me, um, lots of therapy. Um, As Karen mentioned earlier, I am, I'm actually in school studying to become a psychotherapist. I just am about to wrap up my second year, but therapy for me has really helped me figure out and going back to what Cleo said too, like establishing boundaries. I think is really important for people because, and again, it's not about like being hurtful or really playing into like that individualistic side of society. But for me, taking care of myself is establishing boundaries in terms of what makes me feel at home, safe, Mm -hmm. healthy, all of those good things. So yeah, self-care for me is, you know, I love a good bath. I love working out for sure, but it really is about therapy and learning about myself and learning about how to set boundaries for myself as well. Um, I don't know. Like I felt like in my twenties, I would probably be able to give you a really good answer. And the older I get, I'm realizing like maybe things that maybe worked for me when I was younger. I don't know. Like I try to be really honest with myself and that's, Mm -hmm. I think, key to my current version of self-care at this phase in my life is just really being dead honest, dead, dead honest about like what's serving me and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds a bit hyperbolic and a bit goopy, like no, I love um, because it. reality, like you, sometimes we can't let go of things that don't serve us, right? Like yeah. we need a job or like our relationships are hard, but we still love them. Um, <laughs> so I try to just like keep myself really honest. And then something that I figured out, I feel like I'm kind of late to the party <laughs> that I wish I had learned much when I was younger is that you can't plan for everything. Like your life is, it's an unfolding. Like 20 years ago, if you told me I was going to write a book with Michelle, I'd be like, <laughs> as if. <laughs> Like I, I I didn't even meet my husband until I was like 33 and I'm going to be 40 in a couple of days and I'm extremely, extremely pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I think just keeping like an open mind on what your life could look like sometimes for me helps me mitigate like, ah, things feel out of control. Like I can't get my head around this. 
it's nice to remind myself that I don't need to get my head around all of it. I could just sort of see where it goes. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Those are really great answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We're definitely pulling those for teasers. Yeah. 10 out of 10. <laughs> so good. So ladies, tell our listeners where they can keep up with you both and where also they can find the new wedding book. So I am on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at mbilido. So Michelle... Um, but just the letter M, Billido. And then we have set up an Instagram account for the book. And the Twitter handle is just the new wedding book. And then Karen, where can we find you? I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Karen Cleveland. There's another writer named Karen Cleveland who writes apparently brilliant fiction. She's a former CIA advisor. (laughs) This is not that book. Uh, (laughs) If you stumble across her handle, she looks like she writes really interesting shit. (laughs) Um, but you'll, you'll find ours. And then Michelle and I are going to be, hopefully we'll be in some exciting places talking about the book too. So we'll be suitably spamming, uh, everyone we can online on (laughs) bylines and pieces that we're writing and where we are, because we're we're pretty amped about this book. Yeah. We're pretty excited. Yeah. When and where are the book going to be released? Mm. So in Canada, the book will be released April 20th. You can order it on presale right now, amazon.ca, Indigo. And there are a couple smaller uh, bookstores that have it. And then it'll be available on May 18th in the US. Barnes and Noble is a big place that's going to have it for us, which is awesome. And again, there are some smaller bookstores. On my Instagram, Karen's Instagram, and the book's Instagram, if you go into the link, we've done a link tree of where you can buy the book. So there's a bunch of different links in there where you can grab it. Amazing. Well, we can't wait for people to get their hands on it. And thank you both so much for joining us on another episode of Conversations with Coco and Friends. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This was so much fun. Thank you. It was so much fun. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. (laughs) We can't wait to read it. It's like perfect because I was supposed to get married in June. It's not happening clearly, but um, I can't wait to read this because it's just going to further push my ideas of what I want to do for my second wedding yeah, <laughs> um, nice. and and also help me have these uh, have a stronger argument with my fiance who wants to do all of the things <laughs> so it's perfect <laughs> my there you, go. you can dog ears and <laughs> yeah. pages yeah well and definitely let us know like feedback because we like yeah. like we said earlier we're super open to feedback and we want to know like, yeah. what people think of the book and and what we could potentially put in book number two if we're lucky okay. enough to get one yeah, yeah 100%, 100%. Thank you guys so much. Coz, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and be sure to follow us on Spotify. You can keep up with all of our adventures on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.